Pastor Chris, and she's running along the Mediterranean, uh, and so she's on the trip to the Holy Land, and way back uh, several months ago, she invited me to come and be a part of this service today, and uh, I thought February 5th sounds like a long way away, but here we are, February 5th, and so it's a delight to be here. Could I just say it's good to be home? It's good to be home. This was home for me for many years, my formative years growing up, and uh, I'm grateful to be home and to be with you today. It is a real incredible privilege. Well, I've been thinking about our time together and thinking about preparing our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper, and uh, I I thought I would share just a few moments this morning from Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, and I'll be there in just a moment, Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. And uh, the first 11 verses of this, of this very, very, very familiar passage uh, to many of us, and for some of us it may be brand new, and if you are watching from home or you're listening as you are heading down the highway, I would invite your attention to that passage of Scripture. And to form our thinking around this, I'd like to talk for a few moments this morning about the golden hour, the golden hour. You see, in photography, there is a concept known as the golden hour. It's it's that period of daytime shortly after sunrise or before sunset, and photographers tell us that that is the perfect moment to take a picture. All the conditions are right. The lighting is right. The setting is right. And it's called the golden hour uh, photography. Now, I I don't know a lot about photography. I have a long list of photographs that have my thumb in them. I have some that in the olden days, before I took the the picture, I forgot to take the lens cap off. Now, that tells you a little bit about my age and stage because there is no such thing in our modern parlance. But anyway, the golden hour of photography. For my medical friends, doctors, nurses, you know that there is something called the golden hour. It, in medical terms, is the period of time just after a traumatic injury that they tell us that the highest likelihood of recovery is if action is taken in that golden hour. Matter of fact, they tell us that with prompt surgical and medical attention, trauma activity, They say that in in many, many cases, that golden hour will determine the likelihood of a person recovering from a traumatic injury. So you have uh, what I would consider the the golden hour of uh, photography, the golden hour of of medical uh, conditions, but I would also say there is a, a golden hour that I would consider to be that moment when the service closes, and for 60 minutes after it closes, what you do in those moments can determine your future and determine your activity and what will guide you in the coming week. It is the golden hour, the period immediately following a worship service, the sermon, and it is, it is in that golden hour that they tell us that the majority of change in people's lives takes place. Sometimes people say, well, I heard the worship uh, time of worship this morning. I enjoyed the music, 
The sermon was powerful, and I'm going to do something about that at some point in the future. Not now, but at some point in the future. And they tell us that the longer you delay, the less chance there is of change taking place in your life. So for a few moments this morning, I'd like to think about the golden hour. And I'd like to think specifically about this passage of Scripture that is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, and it is a golden hour Scripture. It begins this way in verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the Word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now watch this because we're about to enter the golden hour. Peter had been instructed, he had heard the sermon, he had heard the teaching, and now he's in the golden hour to determine whether or not he's going to do what Jesus said for him to do. Simon answered, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Imagine, if you will, this setting of the sermon, the teaching, Jesus, the great teacher, proclaimer of good news, Simon Peter, the fisherman who, had, who was skilled at his craft, catching nothing. In that golden hour, Jesus comes to him and says, now listen to me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put out into the deep water and want you to let down your nets. And as I begin to think about this, I begin to realize that this is really the description of our lives. It is the description of your life. It is how we are confronted. And we begin this, this passage with Jesus saying to, to Peter, I, I, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put out into deep water. Uh, this is in the original language, not just a suggestion. It's not just a word that would be if you think this might be a good idea, Peter, why don't you consider doing it? It's not even, uh, it's not even a veiled comment that, that perhaps if, if Jesus could just say it in the right way, all of a sudden, Peter would go, hey, I've got this in 
incredible idea. I think I'm going to go out into the deep water. The original language, it is a command. It is in the imperative. And Jesus is speaking directly to Peter. He's not speaking to the crew. He's not speaking to the support staff. He is speaking directly to Peter. Now, it was common knowledge among everyone who fished in that lake that you did not catch fish in the daytime, much less in the daytime in deep water. That was a nighttime activity. Matter of fact, if you were going to fish in that particular body of water, you would know that that daytime fishing is in the shallows. Jesus said, put out into the deep water. Here's what I'm wondering about this morning. What about the deep water moments of your life? What about those moments where where Jesus says to you, now what I'm going to tell you to do and ask you to do, it, it doesn't make sense and And this is going to be a deep water moment for you. It's a golden hour moment. And Peter was about to learn a lesson in the deep water that he would never have learned on shore. I don't know how to say this any other way except to say it this way. There are only some lessons that we will ever learn when we get into situations in which there is no other solution except Jesus himself. There are some situations in our lives that go beyond our ability to understand, go beyond our capacity to reason, and only following him will make sense in this golden hour moment Peter was about to learn some lessons that I think we could learn ourselves. And the first lesson that he was to learn is deep water moments call us to be obedient when it doesn't make sense. You see, some of us are here this morning and and God has said to us, this is what I'm asking you to do. And we have taken a step back and we have said, yeah, but God, do you realize that if I do this, this is what this would mean? Do you realize that this does not make sense? Now imagine yourself saying to the God of the universe, God, this doesn't make sense. Don't look now, but God does things that don't make sense. And he does them through people just like us. Just a couple of weeks ago, it was my privilege with your pastor to be at the, uh, at the weekend in which we invite candidates who are interested in being credentialed in the church of the Nazarene. We begin on a Friday and we examine the candidates and we talk to them about their calling and about their ministry and about all that goes with it. And then on the Sunday morning, Dr. Brian Todd, who is our executive director at Mosaic, which is our ministry downtown Washington, D.C., right on 16th Street, he, he speaks on that Sunday morning. You never quite know what he's going to say. But I remember his sermon, it had two points. His first point was this, when God calls us, he factors in our stupidity. And all God's people said, isn't that deep? Welcome to deep water. 
When God calls us, He factors in our stupidity. Now, don't go home saying, I heard Dr. Bowser say that word. That's not the point. His second point was when God calls us, He factors in our impulsivity. What he's saying is, when God calls us, he realizes that we're going to be impulsive and we're going to make some crazy decisions, some decisions, and some really good decisions. But when God calls us into deep water, he's asking us to be obedient even when it doesn't make sense. Here's what I know. If you can figure it all out, then it's probably not God. Because he says, my ways are higher than your ways. He says to us, my power is made perfect in your weakness. When we come to the end of our resources, we begin to realize we cannot do this. He says to us, my grace is sufficient for you. He is enough. Deep water moments call for obedience when it doesn't make sense. But I'm also discovering that deep water moments call for commitment when the conditions are not ideal. You say, well, I'd like for God to speak to me, but I'd like for it to be on my terms. I'd like for it to be at a moment where I can have some control of what goes on in my life. God, I will follow you, but, but it leave me enough room to make some decisions on my own. And, and the good news is that he does. But when you make the big decision to let him lead, it becomes easier to see him working in the little decisions of your life. The scripture says, seek first his kingdom, and then all these things will be added to you. It says in the book of Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him because he will direct your paths. So when we're in deep water, we are called to make a commitment when the conditions are not ideal. When I think about this particular passage, I'm reminded that Jesus said, put out into the deep. He, he said, let down your nets. He demanded a commitment to turn over what Peter had and what Peter might have in the future. And so here's the good news. When we're in deep waters, he demands a commitment to turn over what we have and what we might have in the future. Watch this very carefully because Peter was fine with Jesus using his boat for a pulpit, but now he's asking him to get out into the deep water. Here, here's what's going on. Peter was okay with Jesus using his boat, but not telling him how to fish, because after all, Peter was a fisherman. Jesus was a teacher. What could the teacher know about fishing? Matter of fact, he's told us to go out in the deep water in the daytime, makes no sense. But when we're faced with deep water moments, God demands a commitment that we turn over what we have, our boat, and what we might have in the future, how we're going to use that boat. Let me just, let me just come real close to home here. 
when God calls us to make a commitment to Him, He calls us to give our lives to Him and then let Him determine how He'll use that life. Say, I don't know if I like that. Sounds a little frightening to me. Matter of fact, here's how I would like for it to be. God, would you call me to something I really want to do and like and just can't wait to do? And if it gets a little tough, I'll ask you for plan B. And if that gets tough, God, I'll, I'll just ask you to let me take control of life for just a moment. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember the last thing God asked you to do? And have you done it? You say, well, I'm waiting for him to show me something else. I, I kind of like, like a catalog. I'd like to kind of thumb through and see what he's got. Many people miss the golden hour. They know what they should do. But they haven't done it in the hopes that God will call them to do something else. But you'll not find joy, you'll not find fulfillment until you return to that very thing that he asked you to do and do it. And he demands a commitment for us to turn over what we have and what we might have in the future. I don't know how that all works except I know that it works. <clears throat> there are times in in our journey where we are moving along and God is giving clarity to our lives and showing us what He wants us to do and, and calling us into deep water moments. And, and we find ourselves there and we realize that unless He helps us, we're, we're going to sink. But if He helps us, we're going to experience the kind of blessings that we could only ever hope, dream, or imagine. So this morning as we think about this golden hour moment, this life-changing moment when we begin to experience the genuine love for Christ, when we trust Him even though we may not see any possibility for a payoff. There are moments where we tend to bargain with God. Here's how it sounds. God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this doesn't work that way. I received a phone call this week from a pastor, and he's not a pastor on our district, but he's a pastor that would love to come and, 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 and be a part of the Mid-Atlantic District. And I listened to him talk, and he said these words to me, and I, I just could not get away with them. He said, I, I made a deal with God. And I thought to myself, doesn't it work the other way around? Isn't it God who makes a deal with us? Isn't it God who, who, who determines the terms? And then he went on to tell me what the deal was, and I thought, well, that sounds really good, but I'm not sure that will work that way. There's an incredible moment in your life where you turn over what you have and who you are, and then trust him for everything that you might have in the future. Well, it's a deep water moment. My wife and I were on vacation, 
in the Outer Banks several years ago. We really didn't have any plans. Matter of fact, at the last minute, we decided we would go. We were actually in the Smoky Mountains enjoying a vacation. And over a meal, I said to Diane, where would you like to go sometimes? And she said, I'd like to go to the Outer Banks. So I thought to myself, well, there's no better time than right now. So we wrapped up our stay in the Smoky Mountains and headed to the Outer Banks. If you know anything about the Outer Banks, you, you need to have reservations way, way in advance. Now, I did not know that. It's a little known fact. And so I, I, I got on the internet and I looked around and I found a beautiful cabin right on the ocean. So I called the owner of the cabin and I said, my wife and I would like to come over to the Outer Banks. And he said, when are you thinking? And I could tell by the question that he was not thinking that summer, but he was thinking three summers from now. And I said these words foolishly. We were thinking about maybe later this afternoon. <laughs> Long silence. He said, who is this? I told him who I was, and he said, well, sir, I'm really sorry. He said, uh, but if you're coming here, there's 12 cabins. They're right on the ocean. He said, you have to uh, reserve these years in advance. Matter of fact, we have people that come year after year after year after year. And the likelihood of having a vacant... Wait a minute, he said. You're not going to believe this. He said, we have a cabin available. He said, when are you coming? I said, I'll be there in about six hours. He said, we'll be ready for you. And we showed up. Was incredible. They take a little piece of wood and they paint your name and they hang it on the front of the cabin like it's yours. I thought, how special. Until I walked by his garage and there was the name of everybody you could possibly imagine of people that had rented a cabin and they just hung that name. Your name is probably on those cabins if it's a popular name. Well, we were. We arrived and checked in. It was great. We had a great time. And we were out driving around, and I saw a lighthouse in the distance. And I saw a sign, and, and the sign said, Chickamacomico Life-Saving Station. And I got to thinking, I wonder what that is. I love just saying the word, Chickamacomico. Matter of fact, every chance I get, I, I say that word. Chickamacomico. You're saying it in your mind right now. You're practicing so when you get to work tomorrow, you'll be able to say Chickamacomico. This is a famous international site for one of the most incredible rescues that ever took place. It is actually a life-saving station. And in 1918, 42 men were saved from the English tanker Merlot after it was torpedoed by the Germans. <clears throat> and on that day, the station keeper of Chickamacomico life-saving station rallied his men and ordered them out into the roiling surfs to save those that were lost. And so as they, as they went out, one of them said out loud as they were yelling above the surf and, and the danger, they said, Captain, we can't 
do this, we're all going to be killed. And the captain shouted above the objections of the seamen as they were screaming in now what is considered to be the secondary motto of the United States Coast Guard. Matter of fact, if you were to see the book, the saying that the captain said to these men that were going out to rescue in the deep water, the captain said this, boys, the book says we got to go out. Book don't say nothing about coming back. Now that, my friends, is living in the golden hour. Matter of fact, that's risk. That is laying it all on the line. Jesus said to Peter, launch out, put down. The scripture says he did that and to his shock and amazement, the amount of fish they caught was more than they ever could have expected. Now watch this very carefully. They had done everything they knew to do to catch fish in the ways that they were accustomed to catching fish. But Jesus came and said to them, do this. Peter said, been there, done that, and have a t-shirt to prove it. But then Peter said this, but because you say so, we will do that. Hey, there's a great moment in your life when you hear God's call upon your life, and you might even say, that doesn't make any sense. But Jesus, because you say so, we will do that. One last point. The specific call came to one person, Peter. Peter's command was, launch out. But then Jesus spoke to his crew, and he said this, put down the nets. So lest you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I really believe that God's calling people, specific people, to do his will. Oh, to be sure, that is true. He's also calling us as well. This call is not reserved for just a few select people that are super smart, super rich, and super positive. Because when God calls you, he factored in your stupidity and your impulsivity. He still called you out into the deep water. There's a photograph that I keep pretty close and every once in a while I look at it, I'm not even sure what it means. I'm not even sure if I understand the photograph, but it helps me. Um, it's that moment when we decide to leave the shallow water and head for the deep water. Because it's in the deep water that we begin to experience these moments where we completely depend upon Him. That's Luke's Gospel chapter 
5, it is a golden hour story. It's a story of deep water. I'm thankful that that's not the only golden hour story in Scripture. Matter of fact, you may not recognize this, but every Sunday you celebrate a golden hour moment. You know it really well. You know it because it is the Lord's table. It is Jesus saying to his disciples, this is my body, this is my blood shed for you, broken for you, that you might have life. That's the teaching. But then there's that moment where we have to decide, for me? And and am I going to say yes to his will? Yes to his way? Yes to his invitation? We do that in the golden hour, that moment where we have to determine, am I going to be obedient? Am I going to say yes to what he wants from me right now? And yes to everything else that he has. And whatever else I might have, I give to him in that moment. The table is spread before us. It is spread before us in such a way that we are reminded again and again and again of God's faithfulness to us. It reminds us that on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he took the cup and he held it for them to see, for his disciples to not only hear his voice, but see this living object lesson. So in a few moments, I'm going to invite those that are going to assist to receive the Lord's Supper. But before we do that, we want to pray together. We pray not just because it's a magical incantation that somehow gets God's attention, but we pray before we receive the Lord's Supper because we are reminded that He has commanded us to pray. But we pray in these moments before we receive the Lord's Supper. We pray prayers of confession and prayers of consecration, preparing our hearts to receive. This morning as we have worship together and we've sung together and we've heard the word together, we're about to enter into that golden hour where you're going to decide, am I, am I going to realize those words are for me today? Or will you fall prey to the temptation that the enemy would place in your mind to say, wow, I sure wish so-and-so would have been here today because they really need to hear that. Or will you say, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. Search me, O God. It would be a lot easier to say, would you search my spouse? Would you search my kids? Would you search the people I came to church with? They need to be searched. Or will you say, search me, O God? So in these moments, we pray together Prayer of confession, prayer of consecration, and in doing so, we bring to Him our need, the area of our life that is most broken, the area of our life that nobody else knows about, the area of our life that we need most desperately His touch, and we begin that process. So would you join me as we pray together? Father, we are grateful for the privilege of gathering at your table. 
We confess to you our sin, realizing that you are just and you will forgive us of our sins. We confess our need for you. We confess that apart from you, we can do nothing. We confess today, Father, that unless you help us, unless you walk with us by your Spirit, we will stumble, we will trip and fall. But with your help, you will guide us. God, in these moments, we consecrate ourselves to you. That is, we give ourselves to you completely. God, we give everything that we have to you. We do not hold anything back. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts in these moments. Father, for that one that is here today, that is in this golden hour of making a decision to give everything to you. God, as they take a step toward this table, may they experience your healing, forgiveness, setting them free to walk in newness of life. And some of us are here today, Father, and we may not know how to pray, so you have taught us to pray, and you said to us, when you pray, say these things, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.